That's all right. Sorry, I'm just going to do that, and hopefully that will fix things. Um, so, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to Pastor Graham last week. I was otherwise busy last week, um, something about a daughter and blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, he stepped in for me at very late notice. I was supposed to preach this last week. So we're, we're moving into a series called Let's Talk. And we're explaining Bible basics. So over the next, uh, it'll be a bit interrupted, but basically over the next few weeks, it's going to be, um, we're going to be talking salvation, baptism, worship and prayer. Um, and tonight I have salvation. And the reason uh, we're going through this is that these are pivotal their core beliefs and their core elements of the Christian um, life and, the, and a life of faith. Um, but perhaps sometimes they get glossed over. They sort of, if you've been in church a while, you, you sort of, it's easy for, for, for leadership to assume that everyone knows and it's easy if we've been sitting there, we didn't ask back then and now, you know, like when you, when you meet someone and you miss their name, but after you've like spoken to them a bit, you pass that point of, it's rude to ask what their name is again. Like, church is the same. We have all these terms, we have all these concepts, but, but sometimes we sort of get past that point and it's too rude to ask what it is and it's, you know, it all becomes a little awkward. So we're going to go back to Bible basics. And the reason we're doing this is the pastoral leadership, under, under Graham's leadership and everything, we wanted to um, equip everyone. We wanted to see everyone get to the point where they have the knowledge to live that life filled with God. That, that life that, that will actually um, drive you forward under your own personal faith and personal drive and personal relationship with God. That's one of those Christianese things we, we often go down the path of. Um, so I'm not wanting this to be a, a lecture or, or, or some sort of thing like this, because mainly because I'm really not qualified for, for that level of... Uh, <laughs> that level of, uh, of, of knowledge. Um, but I want it to be a thought provoker and I want it to be a conversation starter. So a few years ago, I preached a, a topic called Anchor Points. Um, if you're around, some, some of you might have, might have uh, remember it, but it was basically talking about those moments in your life that become anchor points. They become those points that no matter what goes on, you can remember God's faithfulness back then, or you remember that moment when God came through back then, or you can remember that time that was just amazing thanks to God back then. So we're talking about these anchor points. Um, so we asked the question, what's the point of salvation anyway? We, um, we, Pastor Graham was talking about it last week. Um, you know, he, he was asking, you know, what is your salvation story? If, you, if you've come to that point in your journey of faith, what is that salvation, that, um, that part of your journey? Um, so I feel to warn you as, as I start, because um, when I was going through this, I felt very, like, affected. Mark, do you want me to grab a hands, uh, hands-free? Okay, that might be a bit better. Okay, cool, cool. So, um, yeah, as I was going through and preparing this, I had a renewed... It, it affected me, basically. It, it, when we go back to the core of why we're here, we go back to the core of, of what we call our relationship with God and, and all that sort of thing. Um, it's, it's, it, what affected me is, is I started in Genesis and, and it just, just affected me what we did to God's perfect creation. Like that, that's the bit that really sort of stood out to me. And, and it will get a little bit heavy, but I, I want to 
I want to challenge you to not get affronted by that. But um, I'm not trying to make us feel bad um, so that we can whip ourselves, delve into despair. I'm not trying to be judgmental. That's, that's not at all what I'm trying to do. I, I, I do feel that, that each of us, probably numerous times, many, many times, we're going to have to wrestle with and we're going to have to... Um, uh, wrestling with our, our own human condition. We, we wrestle with who we are and who we are apart from God and why we need God. So by default, we're actually not good people is, is the first thought I came to. Um, it, and, and that's completely against what our whole society tells us. Our whole society is, is so... Look, I, I feel like our society is so focused on identity because they've lost the identity that comes from God. They've lost that. So, so without that centre, that's why it all becomes about identity, why it all becomes about, about um, we're so lost without it. And it's become this massive, massive issue. Um, and I want this fact to unsettle us. I, I want our identity to unsettle us because we need to know that we're not the good people we think we are. And that's not to, as I say, that's not to put us on this downer, but we need to, we need to break down who we are in order to build up who we can be in Christ. So it all begins a long time ago. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God created the rest of the world with the words let it be let there be let there be light let there be fish in the sea and birds in the air God said let there be but when it came to Adam the first man he formed him and he breathed life into him we are different to animals and we're different to all other creation we we know this don't we I'm not being arrogant but look around the world even from an atheistic perspective where there's nothing beyond what we see and feel, we as humans are the benchmark of life. We're the benchmark of intelligence. And that's not to be arrogant, that's just the way it is. From a biblical perspective, this is because God made us this way. And the Bible confirms this. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God made us, he formed us, he set apart and he gave us a purpose. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The world was created with us as people being the pinnacle of God's creation. Not just another fish, not just another monkey. We were a superior design. We were formed and released to rule and care for the rest of his creation like an ambassador or like an heir. He did give boundaries and here's where the problem starts. To this we introduce the fall. And my tagline to this is, it is your fault. 
So Genesis 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any other tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, You may eat the tree. The woman said, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. See how he's already, he's already twisting it. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Funny story. He was actually telling the truth there. They did know. They, did, they were to find out. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her, the same to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So God gave them paradise. He would meet with them. He would walk with them. He was part of their daily life, physically. See what the serpent, the devil said to them. Did God really say that? He set doubt in their mind and he put them off guard. Hang on, says Eve. Did, did he say it? Um, I'm pretty sure... Yeah, I'm pretty sure what he said. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. The serpent, the devil, knew he had them off guard. He knew, and so he planted that seed of doubt. And while they were getting through that, he follows with, surely not. Would a God, a loving God, say something like that? Doesn't sound very loving. Adam and Eve fell for the deception of the serpent. They fell for the fruit that looked so pretty. How could it possibly be bad? It feels so nice. It tastes so good. We're not hurting anyone. If we both agree that it's okay, well... When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, forbidden fruit, they became aware of wrong, of good and evil. Their innocence was lost, removed from them. Their eyes were open. Continuing on in Genesis, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden. That's that daily physical, like God was there in the garden with them. It was the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, called, Lord God called to them, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God's response. Who told you you were naked? God knew the innocence was gone. The man said, the woman, it was the woman. You put her here with me. She gave me some fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The serpent deceived me and I ate. The fall. Despite what God said, the instructions he gave and the provision he made, 
They fell to the temptation and deceptive words of the devil. They exchanged life for cheap, instant, feels good now. And I know there are different people at different points in their journey of faith. So whether, whether you would take this account as a metaphor or literal, it still rings true. The Christian life is different. Our society today says, whatever feels to you is good, is good. But as Christians, we need to grapple and we need to reject that lie. Adam and Eve betrayed God and his command. They violated and corrupted his perfect world. God loves you. That doesn't change. But sometimes consequences are just irreversible. We know this and we don't like the fact, but we know it's true. Genesis 3, continuing on again, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. See how even though, he, even though they had rejected him, he was still caring for them? And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of light, life, and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. It's bleak. It's horrible. So think through this. We've gone from a personal creation and relationship in literal paradise beyond what I believe we could even imagine. This was a garden that God formed and created himself to being banished with the promise of pain and difficulty to it so much as feed yourself and your family. This is the curse of sin and separation that we've been born into. None of us complete ignorance to it. The fact is that our very being as people is rooted in this same sin and we are innately separated from our creator because of it. And this is clearly what we need saving from, is it not? We need salvation. We need something to change. This curse of sin has to be changed. It has to be lifted. Otherwise, we're doomed. The good news is that God was not willing, willing to, let it, to leave it like that. To write us off as separated and forever banished. God created us for connection connection with each other and connection with him so I am forever thankful for what God did next so we move to the promise and if it is your fault the promise is a but and as Amanda was preaching a couple of weeks ago God has a big but <laughs> what Adam did at the start and we continually do today holding selfishness bad attitudes, pride and laziness and being dodgy and lying and, and, and is what separates us from God. This very real cause and effect situation is created. God is so holy. He is so magnificent. He is so, so far away from sin, so completely sin free that it's not that he doesn't want to look over our sins he doesn't it's not that he doesn't want to it's that he actually can't you may have heard the illustration of god as light and dark if god is light and the most supreme form of light wherever he is it pushes the darkness away 
Darkness and light cannot coexist for there to be darkness. Light must be absent. And more importantly, if there is light, nothing will be dark. So at the fall, God's creation was compromised. It was violated. The personal connection that Adam had with God at first was broken, torn and irreparable. No longer could God walk in the garden with Adam because the darkness had come into the world. So God had to shift gears. He had to start a plan of restoration. He instituted a move towards a new promise. He set about making a way to bring us back into relationship with him in this life so that in eternity we can be with him. God found some people who were actually willing to rekindle the relationship and to embark on the journey back to him. The Bible in its entirety is the story of God calling us and various people occasionally listening. It's fascinating and it's wrenching when you read how many times we tried, we failed, we got it right, we rejected God again. That's the history of the Bible, that's the history of faith. God continuing to call and every now and again we actually listen. Jeremiah 31 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God was working his promise to a point where the whole world could know him and his love for them as his creation, his desire to be living with them too, not just the people of Israel. The entire world can now come through this new promise. He was working towards the ultimate act of love and sacrifice that would cover all our rebellion, all our rejection. It would be the ultimate make good on a broken deal. What is the plan? The plan is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So now we have the salvation. So it is your fault but God made a way now and forever and this is the plan this is the redeemer jesus this is the faith method jesus christ the son of god forsook he rejected his own godness to come to this world some two thousand years ago to live life as we do some scriptures call him the second adam a restart a fresh go jesus lived a perfect life not sinning not rejecting God. Instead, he walked every day in his will with utmost integrity. He was rejected by the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people and was ultimately put to death illegally. But here's why. 
Jesus, fully man but also fully God, chose to allow his perfect life to be used as a sacrifice, a make good for our rejection. The Old Testament set up the religious practice of an animal sacrifice to cover the sin, to make up for it. Jesus, perfect as he was, offered himself as that sacrifice for us. This is called atonement. And that's another topic entirely. Isaiah 53, which was, which was a prophecy written some 600 years before Jesus. 400, 600, can't remember at the time. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is stuff that we've stuffed up. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. This verse gives us the assurance that Jesus' sacrifice gave us healing, not of physical effect or injury, but something far, far, far more worthwhile than that. When we put our life in Jesus' hands, that is when we decide to stop living however we want and look to how Jesus lived, and trust, that is, trust his love, trust his truth, Trust that all the values and standards he talked about during his life and live for him, that is, live towards those values, then we can start living a life towards, living towards a life where God can use for his glory. Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, this is just after Jesus, there was an eager audience to hear all this Jesus stuff. They were being ready, they, they, they were ready to do something about it. It says, it says um, Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This verse gives two instructions, repent which is for your salvation, your, your, your saving and your reunion or rightness with God and be baptised, which Pastor Graham is going to do a preach on that one in coming weeks. Once you have decided to accept God, the next step is to seek out baptism, which is both a public declaration by the tradition of water baptism, that's a church thing, and also a gift and empowerment from God in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's a whole other thing. Through this act of repentance that is rejecting our defaults, accepting that we are innately selfish, turning away from those attitudes and actions, we are healed from sin. That which would have seen us spend eternity in separation from God. And that, as far as I can tell, would be absolute hell. The moment when you decide, repent and turn, that is salvation. That is the moment that in Christian terms you accept Jesus into your heart. 
That is the moment of forgiveness. And I tell you today that while this is a moment in time, every single one of us, and this includes me, should be deciding, repenting, and turning to God on a daily basis. Romans 10 verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there is belief and there are words. There will be an opportunity for you to get prayed for tonight if you, if you feel that. Perhaps even take the next step in your spiritual journey. But I just want to highlight that it is not the sinner's prayer that brings you close to God, but it is your humility and recognition of your need for him. I've seen the result with my own eyes, and I'm just coming, coming to the end as well. I've seen the result of my own eyes of people that were told, well-meaning, nothing, nothing insidious. They were told that the prayer of salvation fixes everything. That all you need to do is pray the prayer. And they're kind of right, but only with context. Because if we think that salvation is the cure to this life, what it will lead us to is a messed up view of Christianity. What it will lead to is, I tried Christianity, but it didn't work for me. Because sometimes in our ignorance, sometimes I guess, we say things in these Christianese terms without the full context. We know as Christians that it's about eternity, not now. But we've got to make sure that we're not presenting people the fix that they're getting in eternity is the fix that they will get right now. Salvation is that moment where we decide to repent and we decide that we want God with us now to prepare us for eternity. Faith in God is not about fixing your life. It's about returning to your God and restoring your relationship to Him. And that comes from recognition of our own faults and humbly coming to God. You can be assured that Jesus is listening to you right now. And this promise of salvation is ready for you. I would like you to think this way. Put yourself in this scenario. With all things said and done and whether in a short time or long, when you come to the end of your life, you will stand before God, your creator and your judge. You might head there with a life of ministry and care of missionaries to third world countries. You might spend all of your time that you have spare in soup kitchens and food banks and op shops, helping people where you can. You might even tell lots of people that you go to church. You might even invite them. 
Perhaps you have successful career or business and you're able to give and finance ministries and mission fields. Perhaps it's more low-key and you just look to be the nicest person and help people wherever you see. Perhaps as much as you can give is be the best mum, best dad, best sister, best brother, best son, best daughter. Maybe that's your mission. You can go to God with all of that. But when you are standing in front of your creator, there is a question that needs to be answered. And that question is, what did you do with my, with my son, Jesus? Salvation may be a moment, but faith is a journey. You can make this moment, it can be an anchor point if you choose it. Get real with God. No one else. No pretense. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what other people think. Nothing else matters. Just you and God. It is your fault. But God, your creator, your heavenly father is offering right now that way for you now and for you forever. We're going to pray. We're going to worship as we finish. And it's easy to think if you've been in church a while, well, I don't need the salvation part. But there's always a next step, isn't there? This life of faith is a journey. So if you want to pray, you can, you can, God's listening to you. God doesn't have to speak through me. God doesn't have to speak through the pastors or, or anything else. But we'd love to be part of that journey. If you want to take the first step, you can do it in your seat or you can come forward and we're happy, happy, happy to pray for it. If you've taken that step but you don't feel like you're where you should be, you're not sure if anything's really changed in your efforts, you can pray, what is the blockage? What is that next step? And perhaps you've been serving for years. You've been a Christian, but things feel distant, dry. The question is, what is in your life that God wants you to work on? Father God, we are not worthy to come and approach you. But you did all you can to let that happen anyway. Lord, we come to you humbly. We come to you without pretense, without, without beating ourselves up, without showing ourselves off. We just come to you as we are right now. And we pray for a specific work in each of us. We pray that you would show us, convict us, give us those things that we need to reject highlight those anchor points that we can hold on to 
Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and all that he enabled. And thank you for your plan that made it possible to cover us and cover our sins.